Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. So we need to realize that Easter, let's watch this. Let, let's get off of our calendar. and let's, let's take a look at what God is calendars like. Easter in the plan of God is not just an isolated event. Hear what I'm about to say. It's a big statement. When you look at Easter, what happened at Easter? The resurrection of Jesus Christ following his death on the cross was the launch of the greatest revolution in the history of the human race. It shifted everything in the relationship between God and man. What that made possible was a way for you and I to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. That no one before that had ever been able to have. No prophet in the Old Testament. None of the kings. None of the prophets. None of the priests. Not even the high priest who alone on the planet. The one man who could walk into the Holy of Holies. None of them were able to access the relationship that is available to a believer in this new covenant. You see, because now we're able to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it, it was a revolution. It wasn't a good thing or a nice thing. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to us. But it was just step one. It was step one in everything else God wants to do in your life. That's why I want to teach us for a, a few weeks here this, this series, Perfect Power for Imperfect People. So what did Jesus say was the next step after the cross and the resurrection? Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today because I I need you to to get this settled in your heart. I'm going to build on this foundation. So I want you to keep the device fired up. I want you to keep your Bible open. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, all right? Let's go to John 16 and verse 5. John 16 and verse 5. So what did Jesus say about the next step? What's next? What are we to expect? How do we continue on this amazing journey with Jesus? Well, here we are at the Last Supper, his final words, okay, before his crucifixion. Very important what he was saying. John 16, verse number 5. He says, now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. So he said, you're so overcome with grief that I am going to give my life. You're missing why. So he goes on, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. Look at this statement. It is for your good that I'm going away. Now, these are the guys who walked with him for three and a half years. This, this, these are now just the 11. Judas has left their gathering that night. These are the closest 11 people to Jesus on the planet. They have seen every miracle. I want you to get this. They saw him walk on water to rescue them in the Sea of Galilee. They were there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. They're the ones who handed the food out when he fed 5,000 men and their families. You and I, I have to admit, don't you, when you read the Gospels, you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, haven't you ever ever just stopped for a moment and thought, man, I wish I could have been there, huh? Haven't you done that? Haven't you ever said, oh, I wish I could have seen it. I wish I was there. I, I, I would have loved to have been in that moment. And to these men, Jesus makes this statement. He says, it's for your good that I'm leaving. He said, there's something better than me being right here in this room with you. 
That's amazing. Okay, we, we need to know. So he says, why is it for their good? He said, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now we know that this counselor is one of the titles given the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said to the 11 that were there with him in that, in that final meal before his crucifixion, there is literally something better than me being right in this room with you. And he said, that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to look at this and study this. So what in the world could be better? I'm not going to answer right here. What could be better than Jesus standing beside you, leading you, talking, listening, watching him do what he did as Jesus? What could be better than that? Jesus said, because the Holy Spirit will come after I ascend to heaven, you will literally have something better than Jesus standing beside you. His words. I want to know about that. What about you? We need to understand what this perfect power for imperfect people is all about. Let's back up a couple of pages or so to John 14 and uh, verse number 18. John 14, 18. Same setting, same upper room, same discourse. Uh, John 14, 18. You ready? Uh, Well, you know what? Let, Let me... John chapter 14... I, you know what I did? I messed my guys up on, on, on my uh, scriptures here, but we can do it. I want to go to John 14, verse 15 through 18, okay? Look at verse 15. If you love me, you've got it on your Bible. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Okay, how many got that statement? And what happens? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That word another means one just like me. Not a different one, but one just like me. So he says, all right, guys, I'm going to pray to the Father. I'm going to send another counselor who will be with you forever. Watch verse 17. The Spirit of Truth, another title of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Watch this. But you know him for he lives with you. Okay, that's what that had been like up until that time. He lives with you. Are you ready? But he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. In other words, he says, although my physical presence is not going to be with you, there is something that is going to be available to you better than me being here. I'm not going to leave you alone. And so you've heard me state it before, but let's state it again. What in the world could be better than Jesus Christ bodily, physically standing right beside you? According to what we just read, the thing that the, the experience, the encounter, the relationship that is better than Jesus physically standing beside me is the Holy Spirit living inside me. That now we have a walk with God where the Holy Spirit is not just present, He abides in us, He lives in us, He dwells in us. We have an opportunity in our journey with the Lord to have perfect power living in still imperfect people. How many are thankful for that? Now let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm just, I'm laying some foundation. I want you to stay with me. How many know we need to do some teaching? You'll say amen to that. The body of Christ needs to know who they are. Amen. We need to know what the word of God says. Acts 1 verse 3. So here we are at the end of this 40 day period after Jesus' resurrection from the grave. He had bodily, physically been resurrected. That had to be verified. It was very clear. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Acts 1 verse 3. 
After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this, what's the word? Command. Is there a difference in a command and a suggestion? As long as somebody gives a command, is it in place until they reverse the command? Absolutely. Okay. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. There's a gift, he said, and God promises this. He said, I'm commanding you to wait on this, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with or in water. We're going to do that this morning. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority. He said, quit worrying about dates, times, and earthly kingdoms. Verse 8, he said, this is, you, this is what you should be concerned with. This is why you don't start preaching the gospel to the world until you've received what I commanded you to receive. Verse 8, but you will receive what? Power. The Greek word is dunamis. I've taught you a lot lately about authority. Authority is the right to use power. Without authority, we have no access to the power. Listen to me. But if you've been given the authority or you try to use authority and there's no power to back it up, you just have empty claims. So he says, but you will receive power. When do we receive power? There's a power encounter. He said the church needs. But you receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what happens? You'll be what? Witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. That's where they were at that moment. Judea. Samaria. To the ends of the earth. And so what he said to them is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're now empowered to become a witness. I want everybody to look at me. He wasn't just talking to apostles. He was talking to the body of Christ. He was talking to everybody who has a part in revealing Jesus to this world. The student in school, the worker in the marketplace, the mother and the father in the home, the family gathering, in the neighborhood, in sports activities, in the classroom, in the marketplace, in your, in, in your hobbies, where we go. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. We are here for the world to see him, know him, realize he's still alive and well. Are you tracking with me? And what we're reading in scripture is left to ourselves. We cannot fully accomplish that. But Jesus said, I want you to know there is a power encounter that is available to every believer that will enable you to move beyond your own abilities, past your own imperfections. I'm going to drop perfect power inside of you so you can be a witness of not yourself, but Jesus and who he is. So let's wait for a minute. Let's pause for a minute. I want you to think about to whom he was speaking all right? I want you to think about how big this moment was. These 11 that were left with him, when he's making these statements, these that are following him now are going to be the leaders of the church. Everything that exists, over a billion people on this planet today call themselves Christians. All right? And you and I need to understand that the hope of the church, please, please get this. The, the, 
the hope of the world, the hope of the church was resting in the hands of these 11 men. He said, it's yours, you're going to do it. Now I want you to think about these 11 men. (laughs) Pretty imperfect. You know, James and John, those brothers were called sons of thunder. Because if somebody didn't like their preaching, they said, Jesus, can we call fire down on that town? Just burn them up? Well, thank God that's not how it goes. Then there's Peter in the room, who in that very room, in this very uh, discourse, says, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. And Peter says, come on, can you connect to this guy? He says, Lord, even if all of them forsake you, not me. He said, in fact, Jesus, I'll die for you. Have you ever made Jesus a promise around an altar (laughs) in the presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been in a a moment of anointing where you said, God, you can count on me. God, I'll never turn back. And, And, well, some things happen. So before that night's over, Peter runs away like the others, these guys. He says, you're going to lead the church. And before the night's over, they're running to save their own skin. Peter goes to the high priest's home and denies he knows Jesus. A few days later, he takes half of the future leaders of the church and they go back fishing and just turn their back on their call. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, you're going to lead the church. You're going to spread the gospel to the known regions of the world. He looked at these guys and yet he still used them. Listen to what I'm about to say. He entrusted them with the gospel because he knew the Holy Spirit would empower them. He entrusted them because he knew he would empower them. There's some good news for you and I sitting in this room today. There is a perfect power available to some really imperfect people. God gave them this infilling, this baptism, this power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me closely. Not because they deserved it, but because they needed it. We have somehow relegated the power of the Holy Spirit either to 2,000 years ago to a group of apostles and said it's no longer uh, available today. How could we do that? How could we believe that we can be the church without the power to represent Jesus who is the church, right? And so we're thankful today. I want you to be thankful. I want you to begin this series saying, you know, no matter where I am, God wants to do something with me. God wants to start right where I am. God has a strength that I don't have, a moral character I don't have, the ability to be determined that I don't have, the ability to be bold and courageous that I don't have. But God has that and he's living in me. And if I will walk with him, not because I deserve it, but because I need it, this power is going to help me in my Christian journey. See, what we have to understand Let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 1. I told you a lot of scripture today. I want you to walk out of here full of scripture. Somebody say amen to that. Because the devil's going to try to talk you out of this. But the word's going to talk you back into it, all right? So see, we, I told you, we moved into an entirely new era. Now that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, any man, any woman, anyone on the earth, no matter what they've done, can come to Christ and simply say, Lord, I believe you're who you say you are. I believe you died on the cross in my place. Forgive my sins. Come be the Lord of my life. You pray that prayer and mean that, your life changed from that day forward. This is what it's called. Look with me in John 3 verse 1. 
uh, we're going to read about Nicodemus. He was a, an extremely educated, uh, validated religious leader. Everybody with me? I'm not teaching religion today. I'm teaching relationship and reality to you. So here's religion struggling with this perfect power. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. How did he know that? How did he know that? Look at the next sentence. For no one could perform the miraculous power, miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. We live in an extremely skeptical culture. The spirit of Antichrist has never permeated any generation like the generation we are in. Wickedness and evil has come out of every dark place and is on Main Street everywhere in America. The battle for the soul of your children, the battle for the soul of your family, the battle for truth in its most basic forms is front and center today. We grapple with everything that we once understood was life as God created it. Identity, gender identity. What is a family? What is not a family? What is right? What is wrong? What is life? What is not life? Who can give life? Who can take life? We live in a society that does not on the surface feel any sense to honor God. But I'm telling you in this, in living again in an imperfect world with a, with an onslaught of lies and truth and perversion, there is a need today like there was a need there for someone to have to say, I don't really know who you are. And I'm being told that you're not real. And I'm being told by some of my colleagues that you, you are not the Messiah, that you're not Jesus, that you're not who you say that you are. But I have to admit something. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. We need a church living in this generation. Real people in real life. Not just a handful of preachers and apostles and bishops and elders. We need a church. Little children going to school. Teenagers in their school. Mom and dad going to work. A church of real people dealing with the real world. And we're still not perfect. But we are a part of a church with a perfect God and a perfect power. Where someone will have to say, I'd like to know... How did you do what you did? How did that recovery ministry bring healing and deliverance when nothing else would do that? How did cancer go away? How did habits broken? How was a family restored? How was a marriage put back in place? We must understand more than ever we need someone to say for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with you. If God were not with you. If God were not with you. So watch this. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared. I mean, he just cuts to the chase. He said, let's get through this. I tell you the truth. No one can see, comprehend, understand, realize the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Stay with me. So he says... A normal 
earthly, religious, natural man question. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the what? Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, what we're, you know, let's look at this. So how are we born again? What does that mean, born again? It means that we give our life to Christ. We, we're forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. But we're not just forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. There's a brand new nature that comes to live inside of us. And where we had been dead in our trespasses and sins, we're now spiritually alive unto God. And so in this, in this relationship, in this, in this covenant we have with Jesus Christ, our sins as Christians are not just forgiven and wiped away. God moves inside of us. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. How many are thankful the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is quickening your mortal body today? You don't just join a church. You don't just write your name on a card. You don't just go through a religious ritual. You surrender your life to Jesus. He takes you just like you are. He wipes your sins away. And in the middle of an imperfect vessel, steps in the perfect power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you'll walk with me, we'll go somewhere. If you'll walk with me, we'll make something happen here. It was, it's an amazing relationship we have, yet you have to see this. As amazing and wonderful and dynamic that salvation experience is, this born-again experience, there is a clear pattern in the book of Acts. It's repeated five different times for an individual or a group who are just learning about this perfect power for imperfect people. There's a pattern in the book of Acts where a second encounter with the Holy Spirit is available. He indwells us at salvation. How many are thankful for that? And he's living inside of us. And he's there. But we begin to see a pattern that's clear in the Acts narrative that every time they would find a group of new believers, they would say, Has the Holy Spirit empowered you? Have you had this empowerment? See, they knew what had happened in their lives. They knew what they were before that upper room. They knew what had taken place before this power encounter. And every new group of Christians or individual believers they met, they were quick to say, hey, we need you to know something. We need you to know God's not through with you yet. We need to know God wants to give you a power encounter. We need you to know that this Acts 1-8, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, power's coming on you. We want you to have this same blessing. So let's look in Acts chapter 2. I, I, I want to share these again. Th- this is, this, this is, we're going to read a lot right now. But here's why. There is so much misinformation in the church. About the power of the Holy Spirit. There is so much misinformation in the church. About this work of the Holy Spirit. That I want you to see what the word says. I want you to see a clear pattern in the word. Will you read a little bit with me? Will you? Okay, let's look at this. I, I got three amens. That's all I needed. Let's, let's, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Here was the origin, original power and count. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. 
I, I, I want you to see already in John 20, you need to get this. Jesus had gathered those disciples together after his death and resurrection and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now here they are with uh, others in this upper room, obedient to what he said. He said, you're going to need some power if you're going to be my witnesses. I want you to hear me today. I'm not just preaching to preachers. I'm not just preaching to apostles and bishops, evangelists and prophets today. Are you with me? I'm teaching a congregation of everyday people. And I'm telling you that we are the body of Christ. Every member in particular. And if the world is going to see Jesus, they're going to see him looking at us. That's a pretty tall assignment. And God knew that it would take every one of us being who he created us to be. To show this world who Jesus is. He knew that if you and I collectively were going to do that. That we were going to need the same power encounter. That he gave the original church. That Jesus himself operated with while he was on earth. If we were going to present him. Everybody with me today. So let's look at this. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Do you see the, do you see the inclusivity of this? Each of them, all of them. Everybody see that? End of verse 3, beginning of verse 4. Each of them, all of them. One of the great misgivings, misunderstandings about the power of this second work of the Holy Spirit. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is that people have relegated it to just a few people or just some in the church or just someone that lived 2,000 years ago. But when I look at this, I see the Bible say each of them and all of them. Let's look at the biblical narrative, not what we think. All right. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. All right? And uh, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. A supernatural utterance. Speaking in tongues literally is a language unknown to the speaker. 1 Corinthians 13 says it can be earthly or it can be heavenly. You know what speaking in tongues is primarily? It is an enablement to pray as the Holy Spirit directs you to pray. They were praising and worshiping God. Now watch this. They utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We, what were they doing? Was it just gibberish? Was it mad emotion? Was it just emotionalism going off? No, what they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. There was a supernatural enablement. They were praying beyond themselves. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Hungry people will always want to know more about this power of the Holy Spirit. Skeptics will always be present to do this. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. 
Verse 14. Then Peter stood up, remember that, with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what the prophet, spoken by the prophet Joel. He said what's happening is fulfillment of scripture. And he quotes him then, in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on whom? All people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. How many of you sitting in this room today, as you pray for your sons and daughters, maybe wrestling with a prodigal son or daughter, maybe little children around your feet and you're raising up, if there was one thing that you could have and know that you would witness in their life, would it not be for them to know Jesus and for the Holy Spirit to be on their life and for you to see those children rise up, young men and women bold, prophesying, speaking the word of God, not falling prey to this world and its sin and its lies and it's perversion and it's confusion not because they had to not because you scared them not because they feared something guilt or shame but because they had encountered the power of a living God and so transformed their imperfection that God was using them I declare today our sons and daughters will serve the Lord they will prophesy they will share the gospel the devil won't have them they won't fall away they will serve him i prophesy a generation rising up who are full of the holy spirit and will turn this nation upside down not a political party not the democrats not the republicans not the white house not the oval office not the governor's house but a generation of young men and women prophesying 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 because they've encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe mom and dad got to get a little. So somebody wants what you have. I'm preaching too much. I'm sorry. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Come on. See, the church had gotten stale. Stale. Young people are bored, don't want to come. They need a power encounter. Old people got cranky. You need to be dreaming some dreams instead of acting all cranky and fussy. Need to have something you're looking forward to. Come on, join me, folks. Come on. We need the spirit of Caleb to come on some of us. I'm 85 years old. I'm just as strong as I was when God called me. I'll whip every giant in my path. Come on. We need some power encounter. Church has gotten stale in America. We got a stale old church. Got young people think you got to lie to them and compromise to them and baby them and empower them and entitle them to serve the Lord. I declare there's a generation of millennials and Gen X and Gen Z that are going to rise up and knock the devil's teeth out, serve him with the power of God. They don't need to be babied and coddled and promised and, 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 and tiptoe around. They're going to push us into things of God. 
we're going to have a generation of older folks that they're going to be so anointed, they're going to be dreaming dreams and speaking miracles. I don't like that other church. I like this church. He said, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. They'll prophesy. Lord, have mercy. I'm looking at the time. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I won't get through all these today. What happens? See, they made sure that what happened for them was going to happen for everyone. That, that this, this amazing, I've been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in me. My life has changed. And yet there's even another power encounter available for me. There's perfect power for imperfect people. Look in Acts chapter 8. Again, I, I want you to see at least one of these where, where it's important. They say, we, we can't let you miss this. We've got to take care of this. In, in Acts chapter 8, you know, 7 was, was the first martyr. Stephen was martyred for his faith. And so the church was scattered everywhere. See, the devil never knows when he's ahead. Have you ever thought about this? When the church began in Acts 2, every Christian on the planet lived in the city of Jerusalem. You ever thought about that? There was not a Christian anywhere in the world except in Jerusalem, those that were there in that initial deal. The devil should have just surrounded him and kept his mouth shut. He should have just left him stay there and stagnate. But no. He's going to come in and persecute them. And he thinks that's going to intimidate them. But what he didn't count on is that they'd had a power encounter. These imperfect people had connected to a God who had some perfect power operating in their life. So verse 4 of, of, of Acts 8, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Oh, did you get this? These aren't the apostles and the bishops and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors. You, you, you got what I'm saying? These are the folks. It's the body of Christ. Wherever they went, they preached. Look at verse 5. Philip, who was Philip? He's one of the deacons. Not an apostle, not a prophet, not an evangelist, not a pastor, not a teacher, not a reverend, not a doctor, not a bishop. Not his holiness. He didn't need a title. He had had a power encounter. <laughs> Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention. You think? With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. And many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Why would the church suppress this power encounter when it could bring joy to the city? Revelation of who God is. Verse 9, I love this. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He was demon possessed. He was operating in demon power. Okay? He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They thought he was God. Okay? They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. We need a generation where no matter what the devil has, God has something greater. I think in America today, we're kind of at that standoff. 
like Moses threw his rod down and turned into a snake and Pharaoh turned to his Egyptian magicians and they threw theirs down and did the same thing. And right now, the power of God and the power of the devil just kind of a standoff in this nation. But I believe there is a real God with perfect power for imperfect people. And then after that standoff, you know what happened? Moses' snake ate their snake and Moses picked it up by the tail. We got some misguided folks running around trying to handle snakes somewhere up in the hills of North Alabama. I don't think handling snakes is going to get it done. I think the power of God in the lives of imperfect people is going to show us what God is doing. There's some snakes in church, but they don't have rattlers. I'm going to go on. So, Verse 12. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip... As he preached, they, they believed the word they received. But, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So I, I would think they believed the message. They believed the message of Christ. They, they were believers. They were baptized. They publicly confessed their faith. All right? So let's watch. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now watch this. This is what I want you to see. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They said, there's a revival going down there. They need a power encounter. All right? When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, this power encounter. They'd simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter, uh, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Look at this. It wasn't just an internal thing. Watch this. When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. We need such a holy, anointed church (laughs) full of the power of God that if anybody would dare try to walk in and monetize the gospel, monetize the power of God, monetize the presence of God, that some bold, righteous woman or man would stand up and say what my God is doing and how he is working. You and your money are needed here. You better repent. You don't have any part of this ministry. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me. So nothing will happen. This power encounter was amazing. I I don't have time to read the others. You can read them. In Acts 9... Saul, threatening the church, met the Lord Jesus in the middle of the road on the way to Damascus, fell from his beast, had confessed him as Lord. God finds Ananias, a disciple, not an apostle, just a disciple. He comes and lays hands on him and says, you need a power encounter. 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. We go to Acts chapter 19. Paul makes his road through the interior and arrives at Ephesus. And there he found a group of believers. And he said, have you had this power encounter? Has the Holy Spirit come on and empowered you? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Our prayer, our need, our hope, our strength, our promise is that we are living in a hard day uh, if you're going to try to do it on your own. But if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, God's perfect power will operate in the lives of imperfect people and he will lift you above what you could do. Where you could not say no to sin, you're going to have the power to turn your back on that. Where you were ashamed of the gospel, you're going to find courage to stand for Jesus. It doesn't mean you preach everywhere. It doesn't mean that, that, that you try to be something you're not. Just let Jesus live through you. Just let Jesus live with you. The Bible tells us this. I want you to stand with me. Worship team, I want you to come. I'm just going to land land this plane in midair. All right, come, come. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Put Ephesians 5.18 up for me. Here's our prayer today. We're going to take this journey together. How many will learn some more about this perfect power and imperfect people? Perfect power and imperfect people. Ephesians 5.18. It continues to be. God's hope to us to turn boring Christianity into an amazing adventure, to free us from all the things that we are, listen to me, all the things we are, to become everything he is, to move out of that place where you're stuck into the next step of your journey. Ephesians 5.18, you know, what do we read? Don't get drunk on wine, which is a substitute. Instead, what's God's word? Be filled with the Spirit. That's his word to the church today. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If you'll permit me to make sure you understand what that means, I'll give you a little Greek in 30 seconds, okay? But I'll help you listen. This be filled is a verb in the present tense. So it means right now, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not historical. It's right now. Someone say right now. Be filled right now. It's a present tense of the verb. Listen. But it's, it's in the imperative mood in the Greek, which means it's a command. It's a command. It's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit when? Right now. But I love this because the third thing about this verb is that it is in the, listen, passive voice. What does that mean? So it means that you can't do it, but God can do it. So here's the command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm not asking you to do it, God says. He says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The greater is going to take the lesser and pour himself in us. The perfect one is going to step inside the imperfect ones. The all-powerful one is going to risk stepping in to you and I with all our frailties and weakness and hang-ups. Come on. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't need that? God, I come to you today, and I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, have you ever had that power encounter? Oh, yes, I have. Changed my life. 
over 40 years ago. But can I give you some really, really good news? I've been experiencing that power encounter daily in my life. Because you know what I know? Yesterday, pulled on me some. Anybody had the world pull a little on you? I got drained a little yesterday. I had some things pull on me a little bit. And you know what I need? I need need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it, but there's some people that don't always like me. That's a joke. I know it's hard for you to understand that somebody might not like you. It's hard to understand. I know it's hard for you to understand, and I'm tongue-in-cheek now, that people don't think you're perfect, or people disagree with you, or your kids don't obey you, or your husband didn't like what you cooked, or your wife thought you took too much time playing golf, or your boss doesn't know the gym he has working there in that place, or you don't know why your employees can't get their act together. Here's the deal. Life pulls on you. There's some drain on you. But I have some good news for us. You can be filled now. You can be filled tomorrow. You can be filled the next day. Because the word says, greater is the one who's tabernacling in me than the one that's in this world. And then he says, I put this treasure, this treasure, in old, ordinary normal clay vessels my God my God we keep looking at the vessel and we need to start remembering the treasure that's on the inside it's not the vessel it's the treasure it's not my imperfection it's his perfection feel me Lord feel me Lord what would God do with the church wow of imperfect people like you and I that just keep going to the well. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. What if that thing that you've been running around for years, that same thing, this time you break out of that cycle? That, that bitterness, you break out of that cycle. That temptation, you break out of that cycle. That fear that you can't admit you're Christian, you break out of that cycle that moment you'd love to pray that person walked right up to you you didn't go kick a door down said man I'm hurting I don't know what to do and this time you break out of that cycle and you say let's pray about this you don't have to quote a hundred scriptures you don't need a title you don't need to be up on a platform you just need to know there's perfect power in this imperfect vessel God will meet you at that point Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.